You guys can have a seat. This morning, um, Josh is going to be preaching from Ephesians 5, 1 through 16. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Thanks, Kelly. So, as was mentioned, my name's Josh. I'm not Rick. Uh, I apologize for not being Rick, but this is me. I also want to point out, I know what you're thinking. Oh, Josh, you're going to put on the microphone, and so you put on a fancy shirt and fancy shoes. Let me walk you through how this happened. My wife purchased new jeans for me. She said she was tired of seeing me in the old jeans. It's true. And so I put on the new jeans this morning. But then there's the conundrum that we all face of what will I wear to cover up the top part of my body. And I chose this shirt, and then I had to wear brown shoes with it. And then I turned to my wife and I said, hey, is this too fancy? And she said, no. But now I feel really fancy, and I apologize. It has been a while since I have spoken here, and you probably just found out why, because I waste too much time talking about my outfit. Uh, But the last time I spoke was on March 25th, uh, and I looked at my notes from it, and I said basically the exact same things that I'm going to say today. I know what you're thinking, Josh, can't we just play the audio of that? Yes, we could, but... Rick really wanted to have someone living, talking to you today. So instead, we're going to have me speak. Uh, But I am going to say the exact same things. If you'd like to, go ahead and tune me out. And I I have no problem with you doing that. If you want to tune me out, I'm going to sum up what I'm about to say in two brief sentences. Believe the gospel, live the gospel. Believe the gospel, live the gospel. That's all you have to do. That's all I'm going to be talking about. That's the entirety of the message. And in fact, that's the entirety of last week's message. If you remember last week, uh, now Rick uses big, fancy, I've been to seminary words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right thinking. Orthopraxy is right doing. But basically all he was saying is believe the gospel, live the gospel. And really any message you hear in any church should be able to be summarized in that. If not, then they're probably doing something, I don't want to say wrong, because there's lots of different ways that you can honor God on Sunday morning. And there's very little like uh, 
prescriptive action on what should be happening here, but they're doing things that are not necessarily normal and probably should be able to fit everything into this idea of believe the gospel, live the gospel. Our actions should be changed because we believe the gospel. Now, I'm going to, uh, we're going to walk through Ephesians 5, 1 through 16 that Kelly read for us. So we're going to walk through that verse by verse. Uh, and I feel weird because I don't have my Bible with me because my Bible is in my car that's in the shop. And I couldn't like break into the shop and grab the key and then steal my Bible and then go, and plus you can't steal a Bible because that seems bad. Uh, but we're going to walk through verse by verse. And I'm going to be reading it off of here, but we'll also have the verses up there and you can follow along. So Ephesians 5.1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This therefore is tying it back to what Rick talked about last week. But in summation, he's saying, because of this, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, that's a daunting challenge. That's a daunting thing to think about, that we should imitate God. We're probably not going to do very well at imitating God. It's going to be difficult. So we can easily become overwhelmed with that and then just think, okay, I'm not even going to try. What does it look like for us to imitate God? Well, I think that's why he offers it, offers up the back part of that sentence, as beloved children. How do kids imitate? Do they go, you know what, I'm going to try to be just like dad, or I'm going to try to be just like mom? No, they just, they do little things. Like I was watching Maverick earlier, and he was, he spent probably three minutes trying to open the door to go outside, and he was pulling on it, and pulling on the little handle, but he couldn't like pull down and open at the same time. I was watching and making sure nobody was going to bust through. Uh, but he, he was trying for so long. And it's not like the door handle was a fun toy. It was, hey, I've seen grown-ups do this. I'm going to act like a grown This is what big people do. They, they move door handles. When my son, uh, who's back there and now is much older, he doesn't do this anymore. But when he was very small, uh, we, we used to have a landline. Uh, phones uh, that, that were larger. I've already lost the kids. Uh, but we used to have a landline in our house, and my wife would talk on the phone. Uh, and so she would be like this, and she would do the thing that, that women folk do, where you, you pin the phone between your ear and shoulder. And so she would, and you could, I would come home, and my son had a toy phone, you know, like an old one that we weren't using anymore, and it didn't work. But he would hold the phone right here, and sitting just in his diaper, you know, no shirt, nothing else, just sitting in his diaper, he'd be like, ha, 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 and this is what he would do for like 10 minutes. And now why was he doing that? Was he like, oh, I'm going to be just like an adult and everybody's going to, no, but he was being an imitator of us because he wanted to be like us. That was his goal. He's like, oh, this is what big people do. I'm going to imitate so when we come and we try to imitate God, it's not like we have to do it perfectly. Noah was doing his rendition, his imitation, and it wasn't perfect. And he didn't, at the end of the day, go, man, I just didn't really nail that imitation. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw that out of the act, and I'm going to move on to something else I'm going to try to imitate. No, he, he came back the next day and did it again. We need to have that same kind of approach, saying, you know what, I'm going to imitate God today, and I'm going to mess up constantly. And yet tomorrow, I get to imitate God again. 
So how do we imitate? What does it look like for us to imitate? Well, he says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to imitate by walking in love. Walking in love is this phrase that I'm going to summarize by saying we are to show kindness and forgiveness. We're to show kindness and forgiveness. The problem is that is really, really hard. If we really want to imitate God, we're going to show kindness and forgiveness every moment of every day. The problem is because it's so difficult, we get caught up in the moment and we decide not to show kindness or not to show forgiveness and we fail over and over again in our imitation of God. This morning, I, I, uh, all three of my children were supposed to come with me. We had talked about it. And then there was a, a, a disagreement I had with uh, a child of mine. And I decided, instead of showing kindness and forgiveness, to show unkindness and unforgiveness. I should have looked up what the opposites of those are. Uh, but I decided to not show kindness and not show forgiveness. And only two of my children ended up coming with me because the other one I made cry and she was already in the car and she hopped out of the car and went into the house very upset at me. And understandably so because I hadn't taken the time to show kindness and forgiveness. And in that moment, I chose, I actively chose to not be an imitator of God. We get to choose every single moment of every single day how we want to do at imitating, and if we're going to imitate God, and if we're going to try to do well. So he goes on, verses 3 through 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. These verses would be a lot easier for us to read if they were just talking exclusively about having an affair or physically bowing down to an idol because I'm really good at not doing those things. So far, I'm like 100%. The problem is, that's not all it's talking about. It's not talking about physically bowing down to an idol. And it's not talking about saying, oh, did you have sex outside of marriage this week? No, I didn't. Yay, you're great. It's, it's this juxtaposition with thanksgiving. Right? He says, must not even be named which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Instead of doing these sins, let's come to God with thanksgiving. And so this juxtaposition is showing, am I, do I desire what I don't have, or am I going to be thankful for what I do have? Am I going to, in this moment, am I going to choose to desire what I don't have, or am I going to instead be thankful for what I do have? And in looking at what we don't have, we have a tendency to go to three different areas of life. There's a guy named Matt Chandler that summarizes these in three different wells that we go to for satisfaction. The three different wells we go to for satisfaction, money and stuff, sex and relationships, success and respect. Money and stuff, sex and relationships, success 
and respect. For me, I internalize those. I do these things, money and stuff. I like money. And, and like, not like in a Scrooge McDuck kind of way where I just want to stockpile everything, or, and not in the way where I just want to buy all the things in the world. I want money so that I have security. I want money so that if something happens, I don't have to stress about how we're going to pay for it or how we're going to do certain things. I want to feel safe and secure and think, oh, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to trust God for anything. I am perfectly self-sufficient. I go back to that well for satisfaction over and over and over again. But I'm also not immune from wanting stuff. There is a, uh, we, we have older vehicles, as evidenced by my vehicle in the shop. Uh, we have older vehicles, and I, I would like to get a newer vehicle, and specifically, I would like to get uh, a Kia Stinger. Have you seen these things? The Kia, it, it, it's like the, it's $40,000, so it's not even like that much money. It's not like I'm saying I want a Maybach or Maybach, I don't even know how to say that. Uh, but this Kia Stinger, it's a four-door sports sedan, so it can fit my whole family, but it's like super fast. And in the video they show, like promoting it, it's just a guy doing burnouts the whole time. I'm like, why would I not want to take my family around and do burnouts constantly? This is so practical. God, I need this in my life. I drive very fast, I'll have you know. If I had that vehicle, I would drive fast. Oh, and it's got like paddle shifters, and the pedals have like board holes, so it looks cool. Like, I want this car. I actively want it. And I can look at that and be like, man, if I have that car, then I will be thankful. Then my life will be complete. But what will actually happen is, I will get the car, and then a week later, I will realize that the car does not provide satisfaction. I will have financial security, and I will realize that financial security does not provide satisfaction. Money and stuff. One of the wells we go to. Another one. Sex and relationships. Our culture worships sex. Our culture thinks sex is like the best thing ever. And don't get me wrong, it is good. It is is God-honoring, and I enjoy it. But... (laughs) <laughs> but my kids are all giggling. <laughs> but what happens is we begin to think I am not having enough sex. Therefore, I will supplement the sex I am having right now with, with sex with another person. Then I will have sex with two people and I will double the frequency at which I am having sex, thus giving me satisfaction. Or we go, you know what, I am not content with the relationships I have. I will be happy if my life is, if I get this person in my life. I am not content with who I am or with how God made me. I need someone else. This happens a lot to people who, like, you see them get out of a relationship and instantly they're in another. We, we have a friend that they got divorced before they were even divorced This girl had gone to another relationship, and then another relationship, and then another relationship, and each one, she was trying to find, like, wholeness and completeness, because she was not complete in her own. She she felt like she needed something, someone to assign her, her worth. 
So she went to this well of relationships, and we have a tendency to do this. This is why pornography is such a big deal. This is why relationships are, are all-consuming, and we feel like we need to be in there, in them all the time, and, and be consumed with them. Last well, success and respect. Success and respect. I am a, a words of affirmation guy. Uh, if you've ever read the five love, five love languages or are familiar with it, there, there are five different ways uh, the author uh, argues that we communicate love, that we give and receive love. My biggest one is words of affirmation. Because of that, I tend to go to this success and respect because I want people to tell me that I'm doing a good job. I actually talked about this in our deacon meeting, uh, in our last deacon meeting, we were talking about how we serve, and and uh, in, in I had not told anybody this before that moment, and hadn't really thought about it until uh, this. Uh, when and I'm going to mess up the, the Waltons when her sister died. Uh, our church got together, and in that building over there, we did a meal for the family, and everybody came. And then after the meal, there was a bunch of stuff that needed to be cleaned up. And I was waiting for everybody to be like, oh, let's go clean it up. But everybody instead was engaging with the family in conversation, which they should have been doing. The problem was I didn't really know them. I, I was there because I felt like we should go and help. And Aaron was like, hey, let's go and help. So I, well, I was waiting for everybody to come back in and start cleaning. But then I realized the longer we wait, the longer I'm going to be there. So what if I just went ahead and started cleaning? And there were all these, you know, those big baking trays that you see like in commercial kitchens. They're like this big. They're really thin. There were all those that we had used to put lasagnas on. Was it lasagna? Yeah, to put lasagnas on. And, and they had like, you know, that crusty goo that comes off of pasta. And it was like all baked on there. It was nasty. And I'm like, okay. Well, and so in my mind, I thought, you know what? If I start cleaning those, I'm going to get, like, hot, it's going to be a lot of work, and, and I, it's going to just be taxing. Maybe I can get somebody to do these with me. Nobody was around. So I start doing them. But I didn't clean them so that I could help out. I cleaned them so that people would notice how hard I was working. Like, literally, this was my mindset. I wanted people to think, wow, Josh is a hard worker. Josh, you did a great job at that. Like, that was my estimation of myself, that I would somehow become more significant if I did that. So I, I cleaned them all, and I had built up, like, a little bit of a sweat, and there were two people that commented on it, like, to me. And I, in the back of my mind, I thought, yes, it worked. It worked. People noticed. And now I am a better person because of this. Like, I, I think that. That is a natural thought process for me. In fact, at the end of this, I, I want you, in, in the back of my mind, I want you to think, wow, Josh did a great job. I really want you to think that. The problem is that is sin. That is sin in my life. And instead, I have to come to the realization of asking myself, I don't care if everybody was bored. I don't care if everybody says, wow, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I have to ask myself one question. Did I honor God? And if you come to me and say, you did not honor God because of X and Y, then I need to listen to that. But if you come to me and be like, I was bored, okay, all good. Or you're dumb, all good. I need to not care. The problem is I go back to this well over and over of wanting success, of wanting respect. And likely you do too. 
Likely there is some manifestation of you trying to find satisfaction in money and stuff, in sex and relationships, and in success and respect. Moving on in our passage, Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 10. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. All he's saying here is, don't be deceived. Stick to your orthodoxy. Stick to your right thinking, and let the right doing flow out of that. Verses 11 through 14 continue on. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All he's saying here is stick to your orthopraxy. Do the right things. Believe the gospel, live the gospel. Believe the gospel, live the gospel. Verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. How do we make the best use of the time? How do we, as as people who claim to believe the gospel, how do we make the best use of our time? I think it is this. I think it is allowing the gospel to invade every single moment of your life. We have a tendency to compartmentalize what is spiritual and what belongs to God. And that this moment here, what happens on Sunday morning belongs to God. And what happens at community group belongs to God. And anytime we read the Bible and we pray, that belongs to God. But when I'm at work, when I'm parenting, when I'm watching TV, when I'm doing whatever activity I do, those things are separated from God. Those things are not spiritual. We see our lives as either as having spiritual moments and non-spiritual ones. And I think what, what Paul is talking about here is that everything needs to be invaded by God. We need to make the best use of our time by allowing God to, to invade every moment. I think in general, we think that looks like, uh, like what monks do. You know, they, they sit, they cloister themselves away, and then, you know, they do their little chants, and then uh, they pray the rosary, and they wear the thing that monks wear. You, you can all picture it. Uh, they, they do this, and that is their life. And they never tell a joke. They never... Uh, run around and play a game. They never play a board game. They never watch television. They don't do these things because they are spiritual people. And, and, and I refuse to believe that Jesus sat there and spent 30, however many years of his life here and never told a joke and never talked about the Jerusalem Knights football game. And never, that's not a real team. They didn't have football. 
But you, you get where I'm going. Whatever sport they had and whatever professional teams they had, if they had professional... Gladiator stuff. You know, that, that was of that time. Hey, did you see that guy? He lasted like three minutes before he got eaten by the tiger. That was pretty dope, right? I'm sure at, on some level, Jesus wanted to engage with this kind of conversation because he saw everything as spiritual. He didn't go, well, we can't talk about that because that's not spiritual. Everything was spiritual, and he wanted to relate. He wanted to know. He, he was a person of the culture. And so knowing that, we need to make the best use of our time. That, uh, there's a, a song I like, and I played it for my kids recently. And, and you can, so we've got a lot of things going on with our tech department today, and we're going to try to slay this right now. We can go ahead and unmute that channel, uh, and I'm going to play uh, this, this song, and you're going to, at the end of it, you're going to be like, Josh, that wasn't a song. And I'll be like, uh, I'm loosely defining song. Uh, and it's going to be two people talking. It's a, it's a song that appeared on a David Crowder band album, and uh, it's, it's basically him talking in an interview. And as he talked, uh, the, it got transcribed, and, and so this is the transcription. But you're going to hear an audio interview between David and another gentleman named Andy. And Andy keeps interrupting him, and you can see that Andy's not really getting where he's going with this. But what I want you to hear is how David understands and is trying to communicate that everything is spiritual. So let's go ahead and play that audio, and, and we'll follow along. I don't think you should read too much into any of this. You know, it's the, I mean, the Bark Ascending was written, the piece written by Vaughn Williams, who died in 1958. And, uh, the work opens with this calm set of sustained chords, and then, <clears throat> sorry, and um, anyway, and so then the violin enters as the lark, and it, it, it starts with this series of ascending and repeated intervals, and then it's, it's nimble, then elongated arpeggios, um, and he actually found inspiration in a work by the English um, poet George Meredith, who died in 1909, and the composer, he included um, portion of Meredith's poem on the flyleaf uh, of the published work. Hold on, wait, um, why, why do you keep mentioning the year they died? Well, it went, and it went like this. It says, uh, he rises and begins to round. He drops the silver chain of sound. And many leaps without a break. And sure whistles slur and shake. For singing till his heaven feels. Tis love of earth that he instills. And ever winging up and up. Our valley is his golden cup. And he the wine which overflows. To lift us with him as he goes. Till love on his aerial rings in light. And then the fancy thing. Oh, wow, that's, that's nice. But, I mean, but who is the lark? I don't know. Sorry, I, I think I've read the wrong page. Um, the script you gave me says something different. It says you are. Yeah, but I don't. I don't feel like the lark much of the time, and um, there are other larks for me, you know. Wait a sec. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but um, in the script I have, you're making right. a point that art does this. Right. You know, the whole it rises on wing from earth to fill the yeah. heaven, pulling the rest of us with it. That as the lark rises, so do we. Right. I'm unsure. But hold on. I mean. So it goes on to say, and it plays some music over it, uh, but it goes on to say, let me find it. Yeah, um, but the ground pulls at my feet. Andy, hold on just a second. Uh, but I mean, what about the number seven? 
Then David replies, did you ever notice that the sky is all the way to the ground? We're walking around in it. We're in the sky. There is sky and there is ground, and we're somewhere in between. That is where we live. And sometimes, sometimes some of us take wing, and when they do, when their feet leave the ground, even for a second, they pull the rest of us with them. And when we rise, and when we rise, and when we notice that the sky has been around us all along, we've been walking into it. It has been this constant collision, divinity and depravity. We are living in this moment where we get to imitate God and we get to show people that there is more, that everything is spiritual. We get to help them awaken. And we need to awaken ourselves, believe the gospel, live the gospel, be imitators of God. And in so doing, we can lift our culture. We can lift those around us. We can help them see what it means to be pursuers of God. Let's pray. Father God, you, you are holy, God, and, and I think there are so many moments of our lives that, that we forget that, that, that we forget that you created us to interact with us. And God, we spend moments, we, we spend hour after hour separating our lives away from you. God, help us to, to reframe what we believe, to, to instead of thinking of, okay, I believe the gospel, but that doesn't invade my daily decisions. God, I pray that we would allow it to change what we do, to change how we live. God, I pray that we would realize that you are all around us, that, that we have the opportunity to see everything as spiritual. And God, if we do, that, that we are part of the kingdom here and now, that we are part of making your name great by the way that we choose to live. God, we are going to fail in the next hour at being imitators of you. And God, we are going to be tempted to want to quit and to want to stop and to want to move away and on to something else so that we don't realize what failures we are. So God, I pray that you would remind us of the grace we've been given. I pray that we would be reminded of the forgiveness and the kindness that you've shown. And God, I pray that we would pass that on to others. We love you, Father. Amen.